and uh, confrontation with Russia. I never wanted to be a country which is begging something on its knees. And we are not going to, to be that country, and I don't want to be that president. When the Kremlin says these three conditions to end the war, that you must give up on joining NATO, recognize Crimea as part of Russia, and recognize the independence of those two separatist regions in the east, to Vladimir Putin, who will get this message from you, you say it's a non-starter, not willing to those three conditions right now? I'm talking about security guarantees. I think that items regarding temporary occupied territories and unrecognized uh, republics that have not been recognized by anyone but Russia, these pseudo-republics, but we can discuss and find a compromise on how these territories will live on. What is important to me is how the people in those territories are going to live who want to be part of Ukraine. Who in Ukraine will say that they want to have them in. So the question is more difficult than simply acknowledging them. This is another ultimatum, and we are not prepared for ultimatums. What needs to be done is for President Putin to start talking, start the dialogue, instead of living in the informational bubble without oxygen. I think that's where he is. He is in this bubble, he's getting this information, and you don't know how realistic that information is that he's getting. I think it's a bit like in the smoke and mirror situation. I know you spoke with President Biden again. I'm curious, what's the most important thing you're asking the president for, asking the U.S. for right now? I told him that for us, the most important today is the security in the sky. We cannot uh, allow Russia to be active there only because they're bombing us, they are shelling us, they are bombing us, they are sending missiles, helicopters, jet fighters. So a lot of things, uh, but we are not doing this because we don't have the sky. We don't control our sky. The president and NATO have said no to this no-fly zone because of concerns this could trigger a much wider a conflict, a much a bigger war than what we're seeing uh, already, because there would have to be a willingness to shoot Russian planes out of the sky. Do you understand that concern? What do you mean to shoot down Russian planes? If the missile is flying, yesterday, for example, the missile hit the university in the city of Kharkiv and the dormitory, and the same uh, missile uh, hit the tumor uh, pediatric clinic uh, in Kiev. So if this missile is flying, so are you thinking whether to shoot it down or not? I think there is no any other answer but to yes, yes, they sh need to be shot down. You have to preserve, preserve lives. I'm sure that the brave uh, American soldiers who would be shooting it down, knowing that it is flying towards the students, I'm sure that they had no doubt in doing so. Mr. President, I know that no one questions the horror unfolding in Ukraine right now. What the president has said here, uh, and lawmakers really in both parties, Republicans and Democrats, have stood behind the president on this. The concern about uh, protecting and enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine would then lead to the possibility it would draw the U.S. into a wider war with Russia, that they're simply not willing to do that. We are a place in Europe, a place of freedom, a zone of freedom. And uh, um, everyone thinks that we are far away from America or Canada, 
Uh, no, we are this zone of freedom. And when the limits of uh, rights and freedoms are being violated and stepped on, then you have to protect us because we will come first, you will come second, because the more this beast will eat, he wants more, more and more. Mr. President, you talked about the need for fighter jets. We know the U.S. is uh, reportedly looking at how to supply Russian uh, jets from Poland. Uh, you had you had requested these jets because Ukrainian fighter pilots know how to fly these Russian planes. Has there been any movement on that front? We asked not only the United States, we asked many other countries. I'm not going to name them. We looked into this question. We know where these Soviet planes are stationed, which countries host them. And we asked these countries. And in many ways, it is the United States in many ways who will decide. Do you believe the president could be doing more to help? I'm sure that the president can do more. I'm sure he can, and I would like to believe that, that he's capable of doing that. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said just in the last uh, 24 hours that uh, the U.S. is looking uh, at credible reports that civilians have been intentionally targeted there uh, in Ukraine, saying if so, it would be a war crime. We, of course, have seen these horrific images uh, in these last few hours. Do you believe that Putin is deliberately attacking civilians? Why would I care? The result is the same. People are dying. The bombardment of the schools and kindergartens, the universities, the dormitory, the bombardment of uh, a nuclear power plant without even thinking that Europe may disappear if it really hits the unit. Every minute, every hour, every day, the same things are happening. People are dying. Do you believe Putin is a war criminal? I think that all people who came to our land, all people who gave those orders, all uh, soldiers who were shooting, they're all war criminals. Let me ask you, Mr. President, it's believed the U.S. and the West have offered help to get you out of that country alive if it comes to that. Have they made that offer? And how long will you stay? Yes, I was offered because there was a loss of information and uh, several special, uh, special groups who were sent to uh, kill me and uh, my family. I said no, because how can I do this? I'm the citizen of my uh, country and uh, I'm the... Um, elected president of these people. So you will stay until the end, no matter what that means? Well, I would like the end to be like in the Hollywood movies, the happy end for our country. When we come back here, President Zelensky and his concerns over the nuclear plants in Ukraine, the largest in Ukraine, the largest in Europe, now in the hands of the Russians in a moment. Choose ABC News, America's number one news source. The most powerful stories of our time, anytime, Nightline. 
an extraordinary story. A computer salesman was supposed to report to prison to begin a 17-year sentence. They let him turn himself into jail with no escort. No one thought he would run. How do you evade capture for 25 years? How do you do that? Now, join the search, following the U.S. Marshals as they uncover new leads in a global manhunt. Can you help catch this fugitive? Have you seen this man? Have you seen this man? Have you seen this man? Listen and join the all-new hunt wherever you get your podcasts. Now streaming on ABC News Live 2020. True crime, cinematic, real-life drama, stunning, the unthinkable. Follow the clues. The Hunt. True crime. 2020. Now streaming on ABC News Live. Admit it. These days, what you need to know seems to change just about every day. What is it that you really want to know? Need to I want to ask about Ukraine's largest nuclear power plant. Uh, came under attack in the last week, that massive firefight. Uh, I know that it's now in the control of the Russians. The Internet has been shut down. The director of the IAEA has called this extremely concerning. Uh, there have been reports that workers uh, at the plant have been operating at Russian gunpoint. What do you know about the safety and security of the largest nuclear power plant there in Ukraine and really across Europe? was one of the most powerful in the world. Uh, there are six uh, nuclear units. It, uh, on that night, it was surrounded uh, by armed vehicles and tanks. And at first, they were bombarding the territory of the NPP. They hit uh, the yard and uh, building the people who were managing this uh, power plant died not all of them but also the security personnel part of that team they stayed and they are now inside the station we instructed very quickly to decommission to shut down nuclear power units in simple terms to make sure that they are not operational the question is very simple letting people into nuclear plant with machine guns who don't even understand how this uh, is working is not possible this is why our people will stand until the last minute. So we proposed on that same night, so give us the peacekeepers, and I asked them to support this initiative for the UN peacekeepers to come to all of these nuclear power plants, because this is about security and safety for Europe and for the whole world. And inside we will have technical experts and professionals working. And until this very day, that question has not been addressed. What I'm hearing from you is that you have complete faith in the Ukrainian workers inside those nuclear power plants, both the largest plant that's been taken over by the Russians and Chernobyl, which, you know, more than a week ago reports that the, the workers haven't even changed shifts since the Russians took control there, that you have faith in the workers, but no way of confirming what's really happening inside these nuclear power plants. They can't even leave that place. They are blocked. If they come out, they will be taken by the terrorists. That's it. So these are just, just terrorists. They're people stationed there with, in the tanks with knives. And believe me, these are not uh, nuclear scientists or nuclear physicists. I'm not even sure that they have any education for that matter. But the whole world can wait and think one week or two or three 
while our people will die there and these fighters will be able to come in. I think everyone has got the time for that, haven't they? Mr. President, we heard what Vladimir Putin told the Russian people. He said he is denazifying Ukraine. We know that you're Jewish. You lost family members to the Holocaust. I'm curious, what would you tell Putin about denazifying Ukraine? I think that denazification in general, in this case, is about destroying the nation. This has started in history many times and ended in a very bad manner. But it ended for some countries in such a way that these countries were afraid of having done this. There were countries who started cleansing the world from one nation or the other, and other nations were then uh, sorry that they didn't uh, interfere, that they didn't defend and didn't protect other nations from this. In the current world, we have different nations, different nationalities, uh, but in general, we have one nation. This is the human nation, nation of people. So the nazification is, in this case, is pure Nazism, destroying the nation of Ukraine. The same happened in 1940s uh, with, with Germany. They were doing denazification of the Jewish people. They're doing the same now, and I'm in shock. I didn't even know that in the current world you can do things like that. We watched your speech, we watched the address to Europe, and you said, if we will fall, you will fall. What did you mean by that? I think Ukrainians are protecting the values that are uh, shared by all uh, modern people, not only the young population, but all the people who enjoy their lives. And we have the right for that. We are protecting the values that are shared by everyone, no matter what language you speak or where you live. And we are protecting those values today. And I know that if you allow Russian army to uh, destroy these values, uh, this will be the end, because Ukrainians are bearing those values, and uh, Europeans as well. But it is Ukrainian people who is going through this test. That is why you should help us, because all of our people is the army of Europe now. What would you like to say to Vladimir Putin right now? I think he is capable of stopping the war that he started. And even if he doesn't think that he was the one who started, he should know one important thing, thing that uh, cannot uh, deny that stopping the war is what he's capable of. For the American people and for the people of the West who have been moved by your resilience, and by the bravery of the Ukrainian people. Do you have a message for them? Uh, I, I don't know what to say, thank you very much. You know, you know what to say to Americans. I, I just want you to feel and to understand what does it mean for us freedom? Because always, American people, uh, they speak about freedom and they, and, and they know what is it. And now, when you are looking at Ukrainians, 
I think you feel what does it mean for us. So we are not far from you. We are not far from you. And that's why, Americans, if you see and if you understand how we feel life, how we fight against all the enemies for our freedom, support us. Support us. And not only with words, with concrete, direct steps. Do it. And you and I think I think we'll 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 win. Of course together with all the with all the world. in the war and someone we have remained in close touch with Ukrainian parliament member Kira Rudnick who is not only trying to govern her homeland of Ukraine right now but has also taken up the arms to defend it Kira Rudnick is leader of the global political party she joins us now Kira just bring us up to date we talked about a week ago how are you right now how are you holding up hello thank you for having me well we are holding up great as you have seen, the world thought we wouldn't stand more than 48 hours. Right now it's day 12. We are still standing and watch us. We will be standing more. So uh, as of right now, there is no Russian soldiers in Kyiv yet. However, we are preparing for a siege and the city has uh, been constantly bombarded by Russian missiles. So going into the bomb shelter and out of the bomb shelter is just like a part of the normal life routine. However, Russian forces are trying to get in. That's why my resistance crew and myself, we are helping out to neutralize them if necessary. Unfortunately, Russian forces have been bombarded the suburbs of Kiev uh, that are like 40 minutes away uh, from where I am. So there are many, many refugees who are trying to get uh, out to the safety. And today, half of the day, I spent together with my crew uh, just uh, driving people out of the fire zone where they are located. There has been amazing support from Kiev citizens who uh, still have the gasoline and still have some uh, fuel and who were coming there and just driving ordinary people who are uh, who were bringing their children and saying, okay, we just need to move out. So the Russian military are polishing to the ground Ukrainian cities near Kiev. And this is why we have been constantly saying that we need an no-fly zone over Ukraine, because we are fighting Russians very well on the land. We are doing great job. For right now, we have killed 12,000 Russian soldiers. It's basically a thousand a day. However, there is not much that we can do protecting ourselves from the sky. And this is why we are saying, okay, please, whatever you do, we need a no-fly zone over Ukraine. This is something that my country that my people really, really do need right now. This is the main thing, the main issue. And if I can get my Kalashnikov and protect my home, there is honestly nothing that I can do with the uh, missiles that are coming from the air. So, Kira, let me ask you this. How how are you govern, governing every day? Is the parliament coming in and meeting? And how are you actually carrying out your role as a leader right now and other members of the par parliament? So Parliament had uh, our gathering last week, 
uh, all our security and intelligence said like red flag, no gathering, like don't do it. It's too dangerous. You will be like right at the uh, uh, at the Putin's um, hands. Uh, he will be able to uh, with one shot destroy like too many people. But we still gathered together and we voted for the important legislation parts, uh, legislation pieces. We were sing singing national anthem uh, right there at the, at the Verkhovna Rada, and it was. A symbol of unity because you know our doctors are still working our soldiers are fighting our teachers are teaching even in refugees camps so why would parliamentarians uh, wouldn't come together and do uh, and fulfill our duty so this is what we have done and we continue working as uh, uh, as politicians uh, coordinating gathering troops making sure that everybody has uh, uh, supplies and uh, Honestly, right now, I'm just making sure that Kiev is prepared for a siege that we are expecting within the next week. So, so let's say, let me ask you about that. You, you're talking about preparing for the siege. I see behind you, you've taped up the windows. You've secured the windows behind you. Can you describe to me what you've done to make your area there safe? And also, you know, when I talked to you last week, you were training on your gun. You had not used your gun yet. Are you, are you prepared to use your weapon and have you used it yet? So describe how you've made your bubble there safer and then talk to me about, about your weapon. So... Uh, yeah, uh, good job uh, figuring out this. So all um, all the windows uh, at the house where I'm located right now, they're all taped. So this is done. So if there is a missile hit just near the house, so when the glass is getting in, so uh, the person who is standing right behind it wouldn't be uh, killed by fragments. So it will just like go down like one as one piece. And this is super important. This is the first thing that we've done. Second, we have the sandbags near the windows uh, on the first floor. Uh, then we had uh, created like a small sh kind of shelter where we all hide uh, under the stairs. This is um, where it's safe. Uh, we have all the supplies and food and medical aid planned for 14 days for the whole resistance unit that I'm leading right now. And it was quite an operational job to calculate all of that and make sure that we do have enough of stuff and we are training two hours every day so we are training to run with the with the rifle we are training to load and unload it we are training with the different positions so it's been 12 days and i'm much better now than at the day one that i can tell you for sure and uh, if uh, there will be a necessity and it seems like there will i will be able to use my rifle and protect and protect myself and protect uh, our home Wow. Do you think that Putin is aware of what's happening inside Ukraine right now? Do you think he's in touch with what's really happening and how you are you are rising up and you are ready? And and so tell me that first. And then do you have a message for him at this at this time? So I don't think that he's fully aware, first of all, because he definitely miscalculated the amount of forces he needed to send here. And I like to say it's because he didn't count women in and he only count men. And now it's a big surprise for him that we are standing so, uh, so bravely. However, I do understand that it's uh, uh, because of the major miscalculation that he has done. And, pro and because of the bravery of Ukrainian people who are standing up at every single, every single point of uh, every single piece of our land that they are defending and we are defending today. 
So um, I, I'm not sure that he un fully understands why do people in our cities, when the cities, uh, small cities are taken, why do they go out on the streets and laugh at the face of the invaders and say, you didn't take us? Well, you can come in and say, this is our city, but the city is us. So go away and singing national anthem and laughing in their faces. This is what happened in Kahovka yesterday. This is what's happening in Kherson. People, unarmed people go out on the streets and say, no, you cannot have us. You can shoot us, but you cannot have us. You didn't conquer our city. We just deny it. And this is super surprising for Russian soldiers. And this is super surprising, should be surprising for Putin if he knows what is happening. I'm not sure that he's aware about this. Have you witnessed there's been talk of Russian troops sabotaging their tanks, not not sure why they are there, not wanting to fight, not wanting to hurt the Ukrainians? Have you witnessed that? Have you heard that from anybody there on the ground? Have you experienced that? So um, my colleague from, from my party, Roman Kostenko, is Nikolai. It's a southern city. He's actively fighting there. And he's saying that the, he's... he's uh, lots of um, lots of weaponry and lots of tanks that are just w were left behind because the soldiers ran away. And he was telling me uh, when I asked, "How are you doing?" He said, "Would you believe in my uh, in my troop if, in my unit if somebody would do that? There will be a punishment for that. I cannot believe they are doing it." So uh, yeah, they, they do forfeit. They do forfeit their. Um, weaponry and uh, the tanks and the military equipment because uh, sometimes they're just facing the resistance that uh, they didn't expect to be here. You know, Putin told them that they will be liberators. I heard the story that they said, we thought that we would come, we will be given our food, we will be given uh, warm clothes, and Ukrainian women will be throwing themselves at us. And I'm just like, we will be throwing Molotov's cocktail at you guys. Have you seen yourself? <laughs> so. Kira, you always get straight to the point. So can Ukrainians physically take Putin down? Do you think that's what is going to happen here? How do you see this ending? I see. First step, we need to be, uh, to be provided with a no-fly zone. Second step, we uh, remove all the Russian soldiers from our soil. This is the only positive outcome of this I can see. The rest are negative outcomes and I don't want to talk about them. They are just too depressing. We are intended to win. We are concentrated on the victory. We are very motivated. You see, there has been 12 days. We are still motivated as day one. We are supporting each other shoulder to shoulder and we know that we will prevail. We are pushing back like never before. We are building a new nation and I'm super motivated to know that at some point my country wouldn't have a neighbor that always wants to conquer us, that always wants to destroy us. So this is the goal right now. We are fighting this war so the Russia would collapse at some point and we'll have things to do inside Russia, not outside Russia. Final question, Kira, you know what Vladimir Putin wants, you know what the Kremlin has has asked, and that is that you not become a part of NATO, that you change your constitution. They, they've, they've talked about how they, they want you to, uh, right here, recognize Crimea as Russian, as well as recognizing Russian-controlled separatist regions as independent. Will you do any of those things? Well, I don't plan to do any of those, and my party does not uh, plan to do any of those. And I'm sure that President Zelensky right now wouldn't do any of those. Mm -hmm. I could tell that 
these demands could have been uh, better if the party who that uh, started them would be winning. But he is not winning here. Putin is not winning. He is trying to invade. He is destroying our cities. Yes, but he is not winning. All right, one more question, because Zelensky here in the United States is being talked about as, as quite a hero, a war hero, he's been called. This man was a comedian, and now he's turned into this icon for Ukrainian people, and Americans are recognizing it as well. What do you think of him and how he is presiding over your country right now? So 12 days ago, I was as one of his harshest critics for the things that he was doing wrong. Right now, I don't care what he's doing wrong. I think what he's doing right is saving our country and standing up for it. This is what the leader should do. And uh, that's why I support him at every step that he's doing right now. He didn't flee, though he could. He didn't uh, bend, though he could. And he is right now showing the world uh, how much of resistance Ukrainian and Ukrainian leadership could be. And this is fantastic. Kira, let's stay in touch. Um, please send us more photos of your training, your preparations, uh, more on your resistant unit. We want to stay in close touch with you. Kira, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And glory for Ukraine. There in the briefing, the U.S. troop deployments, if indeed they were to happen, would be purely defensive as White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is updating the press on sanctioning Russian leaders and even Putin himself as the Russian offensive in Ukraine continues to carry on. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Kira Phillips. And I'm Terry Moran. A senior defense official tells ABC News this afternoon that Russian strikes that are devastating civilian areas are happening at a greater rate and a greater scale. It appears Russians are now recruiting Syrians to come and fight in Ukraine. They have experience in street fighting. And joining us now with the latest from the ground in Ukraine is ABC's senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky. He's been there for a while, along with a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense and ABC News National Security and Defense Analyst Mick Mulroy, along with ABC News' Alex Prashe. So, Aaron, you're on the ground there, uh, and I want to just ask you, how is it going? Uh, you know, Kiev, I understand, has come under increasing bombardment. What are you seeing? What can you tell us? This is mainly on the outskirts of, of Kiev and some of the communities, 10, 15, 20 miles, just uh, just outside the city. There's been some heavy fighting. The, the Russians seem to be bogged down there, Terry, and the Ukrainian military is fighting them so they don't advance any closer to Kiev. But here's what I can't work out. Uh, on one hand, and we just heard it from the Pentagon, the Russians are bogged down. They're several days behind where they thought they'd be. They're having morale pro problems, logistical problems, and they have not advanced much beyond their existing positions onto the capital. Uh, so on one hand, Putin's losing. Uh, on the other hand, though, while we're all focused on the capital, and, and maybe rightfully so, the Russians are making some strategic gains down in the south. They have bombarded Mariupol. They've uh, bombarded Mikolaev. They've made some gains in Melitopol. They apparently have their sights on Odessa. That gives Putin some, some strategic gains. He gets his land bridge to Crimea. He gets some of the agricultural richness. He gets the seacoast and that key trading route. And so maybe uh, those are some objectives that he considers to be a win. And we still don't know, Terry, what's in Putin's head. 
So, Mick, let's bring you into the conversation on that. What's inside Putin's head? Really, that is the $50 million question. As you look at things uh, right now, and as you hear John Kirby, Jen Psaki, I was even talking to Kira Ruddick, who's a member of the Ukrainian uh, parliament, and she was saying that Putin has no idea what's going on in Ukraine, that he has Russian forces turning against him, that, that there are, are, are members, there are soldiers apologizing for their actions, um, that he had no idea Ukrainians were going to rise up and fight like they are. And she makes it very clear that Zelensky, uh, she, other members of parliament, Ukrainians, they're not leaving and that they believe they can actually win this fight. So, Kira, I think that's exactly right. I don't think President Putin expected this level of resistance. Just to give you an example, the Battle of Kiev, as Aaron was talking about, that that is going to be enormous, it's going to be brutal, and it's going to be long. By comparison, the Battle of Stalingrad, the most bloodiest battle of World War II, lasted five months. Kiev is enormous. It's larger than New York City. It goes back to the beginning of the Middle Ages, so its complexity is going to be uh, uh, intense. And the Ukrainians have proven their willingness to fight. They've stockpiled weapons, uh, ammunition, food, fuel for months and months. This is going to be intense. I don't know if the Russian soldier has the will to fight this. And that's why we're seeing this, these direct, brutal attacks against civilians. Their uh, objective might be to simply level uh, Kyiv. But I would tell you, I would imagine the Ukrainians would be fighting from the rubble. This is, this is not going the way President Putin and his uh, military leaders expected. Uh, but they have proven that they were willing to do anything uh, to make up for their military shortcomings. So, you know, Terry and I were just talking about this, Mick. If Russians don't have the will to finish this off and Putin wants to keep pushing them, what, what could happen? So that might be one reason why we're talking about uh, Syrian fighters being brought in. He uh, maybe doesn't trust the will to fight in his own men. They're all, they're all conscripts. Essentially, so they uh, probably don't want to be there probably don't want to join the military in the first place And now they're seeing that they're fighting people that look quite frankly like their own families their own grandmother uh, And now and, and they're losing uh, quite frankly They've taken incredible casualties some of it because of the weapon systems we managed to get in there But a lot of it's just their, the Ukrainian will to fight We're also seeing a large number of former military from the West uh, going to join the fight So this does seem to be going in the wrong direction if you are looking at this from the russian perspective but the one thing they do is they will use anything uh, at their disposal and that uh, already includes uh, a cluster bombs thermobaric weapons we should just hope they don't resort to chemical weapons because they can be used in these very urban areas where people are trying to take uh, shelter underneath in the subterranean spaces because that's where the chemicals uh, settle so that we might see that during this battle for Kyiv or other uh, heavily populated areas. Well, there are already investigations going on of the potential or actual, you can see them, war crimes that are happening, this indiscriminate shelling of civilian areas. And Alex, I want to go to you uh, on the question of another front, as it were, in this war, and, and that is the sanctions front, the, the sanctions that are coming down so hard on Russia uh, that are being imposed across the world. And I guess I'm, I'm, I understand that in Congress, there's unity there, rare moment of unity there. It seems Republicans and Democrats uh, on the House and Senate tax writing committees, those are the committees that would have jurisdiction over this, are coming together on another package of sanctions, a bipartisan legislation that would sanction uh, you know, Russia 
again, a, a law, not a presidential action. What's in that and, and how big a deal is it? Remarkable, because I mean, we've seen the White House kind of hesitant to levy sanctions on Russian oil and gas. But again, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi indicated uh, late last week that she was all for it. We've seen Republicans for weeks now, uh, including Senator Ted Cruz, calling for a ban on Russian gas and oil. And so we have uh, this uh, this announced deal, this bipartisan legislation that seeks to punish Russia for its invasion of Ukraine and, and basically ban the import of energy products from Russia, and it would also suspend normal trade relations with both Russia and Belarus. And so, I mean, this is a very, very targeted affront. Uh, again, I mean, you, you've heard the line from the late Senator John McCain saying that Russia is essentially a gas station masquerading uh, as a country. Uh, this is their one of their biggest ex export. And so a, a continued call from these legislators on Capitol Hill to specifically target uh, Russian oil and some other provisions of this legislation, it would give the president uh, the authority to increase tariffs on products from Russia and Belarus. It would also aim to suspend uh, Russia's participation in the world, the World Trade Organization. So again, a very targeted uh, look at uh, trying to uh, attack uh, Russia's um, purse here. That's right. And so much of it comes from oil and gas and energy. And Aaron, one more to you. We just heard Mick describe the potential uh, of, of Russia as it struggles now unleashing more bombardments and maybe even some kind of, uh, you know, chemical weapon, a weapons attack. And I just want to ask about these humanitarian corridors that Russia is supposedly inviting people to take out of the cities they're sieging. Are those working? What can you tell us about uh, any agreement to secure them? when so far people going down them you know ha have been killed in fact the ukrainians called the the russian offer a cynical ploy terry because the only safe passage out they were offering was along a route to russia or to belarus and that's not where uh, ukrainians would feel comfortable going you're right they tried a couple of a uh, couple of times over the weekend to arrange ceasefires the ukrainians said the russians just kept shelling and the evacuations had to be halted and you could see it and hear it as people were waiting for the bus, the explosions very close by and a soldier saying, this is not safe. We don't want you to get shot. Other civilians trying to flee north of Kyiv, they also came under bombardment. There was another round of talks today in Belarus between the Ukrainians and the Russians. They apparently, while there were no breakthroughs, at least decided that perhaps they could work out some logistics for humanitarian corridors. There's a real concern in the bombarded urban centers, Terry, that humanitarian aid cannot get through, and people are really going to suffer as a result. That's the nature of siege warfare, which it looks like is what we're heading towards. Uh, Aaron, Alex, and Mick, thanks to all of you.